do you think that it's okay to receive a shot that's complicit in abortion, the theft and murder of an unborn child for disease that has over a 99.99% chance of survival? And if you're a Catholic, I would recommend pray about it, but potentially go talk to a really solid priest and consider going to confession. I'd like to introduce you to somebody really special. Now, this is a former captain uh, in the army who actually served as a Green Beret in something called the 7th Special Forces Group. He has voluntarily left the army. He had a great career ahead of him, all sorts of accolades already. And he had planned to serve, as you'll see, for life in the military. The U.S. military is right now lost an incredible soldier, and he refused to go on because of harassment around the COVID vaccine. He is a Catholic. In fact, he's a former seminarian, um, and he knew his faith really well. And when he was first pressured massively, but then mandated to do the COVID jab, he refused on the grounds that it was an abortion-tainted jab, and he wasn't going to do that. He recognized what the church said about remote material cooperation. But being a seminarian, formed so very well, as you'll see, he was ready to sacrifice everything for his conscientious discernment about not taking an abortion-tainted jab. Someone truly remarkable. And you know, uh, after all of the things that he did in his military accomplishments, which are many, um, he considers refusing the immoral and illegal COVID vax is his proudest moment. Stay tuned for this episode of the John Henry Weston Show with John Frankman. Ave Maria Mutual Funds, seeking the moral high ground for 20 years. Pro-life. Pro-family. Catholic values have guided us to the top. John Frankman, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, John. Appreciate to be here. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So, John, uh, you've really uh, done what amounts to a heroic action. Uh, giving up, you know, your future plans, your career, your your goal that you had set for yourself, accepted to and everything else. Um, so if you can take us through what happened to you so that everyone knows. So more or less what happened is I arrived at 7th Special Forces Group the summer of 2020. Um, I ended up going, uh, being an infantry officer, then went to the Special Forces Qualification Course, became a Green Beret, Military Freefall School. So have had a lot of military training uh, and I get to seventh group, get put on my team. And this is the year of 2020. So when uh, COVID was all the rage, that's any, all anyone ever thought about what was affecting the world, the pandemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. And I had a very solid team and I'm extremely grateful for them. So as a captain, I was a detachment commander, a team leader of 12 individuals. Um, and we're supposed to think critically and really work autonomously. So we all know that the that the shot is being produced. And even when it was President Trump, we're all a little bit concerned. Um, a lot of us had already had COVID. So 
we're sort of wondering why are we going to need this thing? And as a Catholic, that's, it's just the most important part of my faith. That's the most part of part of my life is being Catholic. And I understood that all of the shots that were being produced up until that time, um, they all used aborted fetal cells, either in the testing or the production. And I'd been in seminary before, so received some formation. Um, and I was familiar that it was remote material cooperation. That was kind of the level I was at going into January of 2021. So that being said, I considered, well, I can't really justify being complicit in, in abortion, in the murder, the theft of the baby's body parts, unless there's some grave reason. And I wasn't entirely sure when the shot was being produced and came out, whether I was going to get that or not. So around February timeframe, it becomes available for service members. And I noticed in a signup, I'm just the only officer who didn't, didn't elect to get it. And it's just something that is, was being pushed incredibly hard on us. Every single meeting you go to at the company level, battalion level, the first thing you report on is number of fully vaccinated, number of who's received one dose, how many are sick. So that's just really the emphasis and everyone's making it a readiness issue. And the mandate didn't officially come in until August of 2021, but I would say the pressure was much, much stronger beforehand. And I told my team early that as their team leader, as their senior raiders, the person who can determine how well their evaluations go, that I would neither punish nor reward them for whether they received the shot. And I personally did not want to get it. And that's actually what the military policy was. So I was just trying to enforce that military policy. Um, but because of that, our team got labeled the tinfoil hat team. Uh, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty clear that we uh, were kind of standing together and not wanting to get this. And my team sergeant, he suffered a lot terribly, more terribly for this than I did and was often harassed by the company sergeant major brought into the office. At what point I had a conversation like that, like hour, hour and a half, and I was just not trying to seek martyrdom. I was just trying to follow my conscience, protect my men. And yeah, and the conversation was told, hey, you're screwing up in more colorful language, of course. Uh, you're screwing up your career reputation. You should think about stuff outside the army. Uh, if your team loses a mission for not receiving the shot, I'm going to kick guys out of the company. I'm going to send guys to unwanted assignments. So the pressure was mounted. And the bigger pressure for me was the policies that were in place. So even though the mandate not kicked in until August of 2021, they were making it a requirement for traveling to different training events for deploying. Uh, so for instance, they tried to incentivize people who got vaccine, got the shot by having to rest in place less time. So in, for instance, if I wanted to go to some school in Florida, I would have to wait two weeks before and two weeks after versus someone who's unvaccinated one week, one week. You mean someone who is vaccinated? Someone who's vaccinated, yeah. So they're trying to incentivize the vaccine. And I didn't have it as bad. I appreciate my unit too, and I'll give credit where credit's due. I think to the extent that my leaders tried to thought they could help, they absolutely did. And there were other units that had it just horrendously. I know, for instance, of a battalion in Fort Bragg, North Carolina in the 82nd, where this company started or the battalion sergeant major stood in front of the battalion and said, if you're vaccinated, go stand over there. You have the day off. If not, put your rucksack on. We're going to do some hard physical labor, some hard physical training. And that is just not fair to new privates, young lieutenants, et cetera, who don't have the same wherewithal. I feel extremely blessed to have had that kind of seminary formation um, and just the prayer life to try to discern through it. And at this point, I still am not sure. I just am kind of praying, trying to get light and it was reading an article of Father Phil Wolf that really helped me better understand just the life issue with regards to these shots. 
that it's not just the murder of an unborn baby back in the 70s. I mean, if we look at it, it's HEK273. What does that imply? That were there were 276 before. What does it imply? That it's harvesting a kidney. It has to have a certain level of development. It's absolutely sickening that we would be complicit in something like that. But it's not just the murder. It's the continued theft of the body. We don't have any rights to their body, the bodies of these aborted babies, the parents, they forfeited those rights when they elected to have the abortion. And just like we go to different countries to recover the bodies of service members to inter them because we recognize there's a sacredness, we need to do the same for the children. And I am extremely blessed with knowing some very solid priests. And one priest put it to me this way, that it's not just grave matter with regards to the abortion. It's also grave matter with regards to just prudence. And I went back to the Catechism of the Catholic Church just to uh, look over it again. But another definition for sin is an act against reason. If it's just not reasonable or prudent to do so and you're doing that, that's just an act against reason. So I prayed about it and just kind of reached this point of peace where I'm just not going to get the shot. Um, and that was the stance. And, and it was great to get to that point. Now, one of there were a number of uh, difficulties that kind of suffered or sacrifices I had to make at that point. So I was a Green Beret detachment commander on a military freefall team. And we were out in Arizona training, doing a bunch of military freefall jumps. So that's basically skydiving, if you're not familiar, but with equipment, with oxygen. So jumping out of planes, 14,000 feet, maybe a little more with oxygen, oxygen equipment, nighttime, et cetera. And at that point, the military, in order to coerce service members to get the shot who haven't yet so, and this is, again, before the mandate, made it more difficult to deploy. Um, so they use things such as command authority or risk of force, risk of mission, et cetera, in places where they thought they could kind of pull sway. So first special forces command at that time said, hey, it is a requirement for service members to be vaccinated in order to deploy. Now, I talked to my team and only one guy at that point was willing to get the shot. So I just I got a call with the company commander and. He said, hey, John, I know you and your team, you don't want to get the shot, but what's it going to be? Are you going to get the shot? Or are we going to take the deployment from you? And I said, well, you're going to have to take it because that's uh, I only have one guy who wants to get it. And I ask about natural immunity and I'm told that they're not willing to accept that risk, which I kind of laughed at or <laughs> that was funny because what, what were we risking right then? We were jumping out of planes with oxygen and equipment at 14,000 feet plus, you know, at nighttime. So just really weird levels of risk. And then from there, got thrown into some not as fun training assignments. Uh, I'm going to Fort Polk, Louisiana, uh, doing another two-week exercise. And um, that kind of brings us to that point. And then the mandate comes into effect in August. And what my team and I noticed, and I was just never going to get the shot just because of the abortion, the life issue. But we were looking into it and we saw, okay, community got FDA approved. Everything else is emergency use authorization. And I'm sure you've gone over a number of times and probably are even more well-versed in this than I am, but emergency use authorization means that you can't be forced to take something. It's an emergency use. I mean, it's only supposed to be authorized if there's nothing else available. However, I mean, I think we all know there's some other solutions that are available. Um, but my team understanding that, we're, we're concerned that, well, if we receive an emergency use authorization shot, there's not really any liability on the drug company. Um, it still just doesn't doesn't seem right. So, I mean, that's very frustrating. But basically, my team is still maybe like 10 to 12, not vaccinated at the time. We go to an assignment in the middle of the woods in Fort Polk, Louisiana. It's no fun. Anyone who's been in the military, they'll hear, have heard of 
JRTC, the Joint Readiness Training Center. Um, and you're basically doing a brigade level, thousands of service members, soldiers uh, exercise. And during those two weeks you're in the field, you have a 12 hour break in order to kind of relax, get briefed on how you're doing, progress, um, continue planning, et cetera. Well, this was September of 21. So the mandate went into effect August. And there was such emphasis on getting people counseled who were not, who had not received the shot yet that they sent a major to the woods to counsel us in the middle of that training event. And it was incredibly frustrating, probably the most frustrated I'd been the entirety of this whole ordeal. And I just asked my company commander, you know, why are we getting counseled in the middle of the woods? What's going on? Like, how are you expecting service members to make a career decision, a, a life-changing decision without the proper medical, religious, or legal resources? How am I supposed to show that training to fight and win wars is more important than administrative BS when this is happening? And that we're just not going to get training value at that point. Um, fortunately, it was pushed back to when we got back to Eglin Air Force Base, uh, 7th Group, in October, um, which frustrated me again because that means that, well, I guess someone else could have pushed it and didn't need to bring it down to my level, but that's okay. I'll try to go back for the boys. Um, so, yeah, then we get back to 7th uh, Special Forces Group, and that week, uh, everybody gets counseled. So first day, everyone's getting counseled. I think it's a Tuesday. And I look at the counseling form and it has a number of different points on it in paragraphs. And one says that COVID's dangerous. Okay, debatable. Other is that the COVID shots are safe and effective. And the other point is that you are now ordered to take an FDA approved shot. So I put in my counseling statement, a number of my soldiers did too, disagree. Um, I think they put it is not FDA approved. There's only EUA available because there still is not community available for service members. Um, and I don't know, I think maybe they might have done some labeling trick or something like that. I'll let other experts, lawyers figure that one out. But just at that time, for sure. And I put also that paragraph two or whatever says that it's safe and effective. Well, according to VAERS, the vaccine events of vaccine adverse events reporting system, we've had over. I don't know how many thousands of deaths. I just checked that out today. I think we're at like, what, 30, 35,000. Um, but there were a number of tens of thousands of deaths at that point. So I put, it's not safe, that it's not effective. Look at everybody who's still getting sick, who's been vaccinated. And then I put, there's no FDA proof shot. Therefore, I cannot comply with this. Now, I submitted a religious exemption anyway, which um, I showed to you just uh, so you can kind of understand those arguments that I made. Um, but then the next day we go and we talk to the uh, group doctors and we're my whole team. We're bringing up, hey, there's no FDA approved shot. What are we supposed to do? And they're like, oh, it's medically interchangeable. It's super safe and effective. And there have been some very courageous military whistleblowers, doctors who came out while they were in the service and they had brought up the dangers of the shot. And we tried to bring up their arguments and and what they said, uh, testifying. And we're just kind of told, oh, you know, those people are kind of weird and just not really taken too seriously. So. I put my religious exemption in. Everybody's kind of frustrated. The rest of the team, they they chose to got, get the shot, but you know they didn't have the same kind of background that I did. Um, they're worried about their families, um, but they were happy to get ordered to get it in case something happens to them because they are, again, worried about the liability and the dangers. So after that, team time gets shortened a little bit because I'm on the team, can't deploy. So what kind of use is it having a team leader who can't deploy? Um, at that time, and kind of while this is all going on, I applied to 
teach philosophy at West Point. So I applied to the philosophy department. I was accepted to teach philosophy and then teach a course at the Simon Center for Military Ethics, so an ethics course. Ha ha. And that would have entailed going to get a master's for a couple of years at a philosophy department, uh, then going to West Point. Those two years would have been a six-year additional duty service obligation. So I would have signed up for eight more years. I was basically planning on being a career military man, doing all 20 years. Um, but while my religious exemption was pending, which is over a year, it never actually answered. The, the mandate just kind of went away. That's what happened. I'm not allowed to deploy. I'm not allowed to travel for career-enhancing schools. I'm not allowed to move. And not being allowed to move to go to University of Dallas or Catholic University where I'd been accepted into uh, kept me from doing this assignment. Even after the order was rescinded, I reached out to Human Resource Command. I reached out to West Point, and, and that wasn't available. So fast forward to, let's say, August of 22, August of last year, just in a town hall meeting and a general is hearing, having a town hall um, conversation. So that's where service members can ask questions. So that's E6 or Staff Sergeant to 04 Major, the rank above me, group commanders there, just a lot of brass there. And he's he's just kind of going through asking, taking questions. And I decide, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and just ask the question. So I, I raise my hand and say, hey, sir, Captain Frankman, AS3 over in 3rd Battalion. Uh, two weeks ago, the CDC changed its policy and said that there's no distinction between people who are vaccinated or not vaccinated. That said, there's about 30 of us who have not received the vaccine. We're not able to deploy to go TDY or travel or to uh, move to PCS. Uh, furthermore, I've had a religious exemption pending since October of last year, so about a year. That said, is there going to be any kind of change in the policy? Are we thinking of rescinding this order? And when are we going to hear back from religious exemptions? And the first question he just says, and just off the top of his mind is, oh, have you heard of Novavax? <laughs> and I respond, yes, sir, I have. It uses aborted fetal cells. And he was just very surprised that I knew that. Um, but I think that it, not necessarily his fault, but just what's been kind of passed down um, as kind of like the talking points. With regards to that, I decide, you know, I'm not going to wait until I get my religious exemption denied because they're all just getting denied. They're not taking them seriously. It doesn't matter that I was in seminary for four years or that I'm a faithful Catholic, et cetera. It's just going to get denied. And with it getting denied, there's the possibility that I don't get an honorable discharge, that I could get a general discharge, which would go to further employers, et cetera. So I decide, you know, I'm just going to put in my uh, my refrat, my release from active duty packets, leave the army, see where God leads me after that. And then I had one more somewhat meaningful interaction, which was my exit interview, just leaving, leaving group. And I asked some questions and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to speak my mind here, but do you think that this was a legal order? Are you, and then like, sure. And then do you understand that it requires an FDA approved shot? And just like, oh, I'm not a doctor. Well, we had brought it up with the doctors. They weren't helpful on it either. And I brought up, have you heard of Nuremberg, the Nuremberg code? I think that a lot of us forget that in World War II, when Jews were being experimented against, we tried to come up with a list to solve these problems, such as you can't force someone to take something, force, coerce, pressure in any means to take something, that you have to do animal trials first, that you have to know the, the long-term side effects, and this just wasn't being followed. And then are you doing anything to look into service members who've been injured by this? I've had a number of individuals come up to me, sort of, you know, one-on-one, -on -one just because they know where I stand on the issue, tell me about some medical things. Um, I'll let doctors talk about it more than I will. I'll just 
you know, speak anecdotally. Um, but just kind of response to that sort of got gaslit in a number of areas, um, saying I was going to a dark place, uh, too much ideology is bad. Have you heard of the Crusades? I'm like, yeah, sure, I've heard of the Crusades. Seems a little off topic. Um, but, you know, it's the blood of the martyrs is what spreads the Christian faith. And with, with Islam, it's the sword. Hey, my friends, now is the time to stand up and fight. We are just about to have the Synod on Synodality. And everything that you've seen indicates that it's going to be an absolute disaster. We have Father James Martin as a personal appointee of the Pope speaking at it. We've got Cardinal Supic, Cardinal Tobin. These picks of the Pope to engage in this synod are indicative of where we're going. We're going into heresy. And at these times of great crisis, the church, especially those called in the laity to work for the glory of Christ and his church, are called to gather and strategize. Back in 2014, LifeSite launched something called Rome Life Forum. It was a gathering at that point of some 75 life and family leaders from all around the world to strategize as to what we could do. And when we gathered, the majority of people were most concerned about what? About Pope Francis, about what was going on in Rome. But this was 2014, but the life and family leaders saw it first. Now, a decade on, we are confronted with some of the most severe challenges the church has ever faced. And so our tradition at LifeSite is to continue with Rome Life Forum, which has continued every year until we had to take a break over COVID because we weren't permitted, but we're starting it up again. Please come, if you feel so called, to Rome, October 31st and November 1st, the very end of the Synod on Synodality, and uh, we'll be there to strategize with his eminence, with his excellency, and with many life and family leaders from around the world. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. What I would say to a Catholic or a Christian who had received the shot, and just off the top of my mind was, uh, do you think that it's okay to receive a shot that's complicit in abortion, the theft and murder of an unborn child for disease that has over a 99.99% chance of survival. And if you're a Catholic, I would recommend pray about it, but potentially go talk to a really solid priest and consider going to confession. And that's not to, you know, stepping back from the story, to put blame on a lot of individuals. There was a lot of confusing information out there. I know that the CDF, now the DDF, put out a confusing, or they put out a statement, um, which I addressed my religious exemption memo, um, so I think that we absolutely cannot judge people for how they fell on this issue. There was just confusion from the media, confusion within the church. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who got it that absolutely did not commit a sin because there's just no culpability, no knowledge there. So we need to pray and we need to be grateful that we, for those of us who chose not to get the shot, that we were given the grace, the knowledge, the light to not do so. And that's with all of our sins too. Um, and I recognize I'm a great sinner. I don't know why God gave me this light to know this. Um, and to avoid the shot and gave me that strength because, man, there's so many sins I, I commit um, that I know are wrong and I just keep doing them. Um, so just kind of have that conversation um, and end up leaving the service in June or, or July 1st. Um, but as I'm telling this, I do want to say I'm grateful to my leadership at the local level uh, for trying to help me out, for never making me feel alienated, maybe a little bit um, early on with the shot. But 
I think they truly did try to do what they could that as a test, just about everybody failed, you know, and that if a teacher gives a test and everybody fails, is it really the student's fault or is the teacher's fault or is there just something wrong with the system? And I think we know there's just something kind of wrong with the system. And I think that the higher level you're at, the more culpability you have for enforcing this shot mandate, which has hurt the military. And it's hurt it because we've had, what, over close to 10,000 kicked out. A number of others are choosing to retire early because of their frustrations or to not reenlist. So retention issues. You're having individuals like me who survived the shot mandates, made it to the other side, yet I've lost out on team time, deployments, an opportunity to get a master's degree and teach at West Point. So just like a small career window to do things as an officer. And then people just don't want to enlist right now. If you just went through an ordeal where the military forced a lot of people to do something they didn't want to do that they thought was kind of problematic, um, then a lot of people are not going to want to be part of that organization. And it's I think more than anything, it's it's hurt morale um, and it's hurt morale for the service members who are in. And it's done uh, moral damage uh, to them um, through forcing them to do something that they don't want to do. And I think it's kind of further conditioned. Um, so we all know how habits work. And if you just kind of habitually choose to do what's kind of expedient, kind of out of ignorance, I think that's kind of sort of habituated kind of the yes man sort of career mentality. Um, and it's also kind of gotten rid of some of the critical thinkers. So got out July 1st. I actually went on an Ignatian retreat uh, last month, which was just absolutely amazing. And I highly recommend that for anyone who wants to grow deeper in their prayer life or figure out what they're supposed to do next. But uh, it was eight day. It was led by uh, Oblate of the Virgin Mary. Um, and I was praying about, hey, what do you want me to do next, God? And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if you saw the article I published, but uh, I'd been trying to get that one out for a bit of a month. And July 31st, the Feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola, that gets published. I get reached, hit up by people who are much more important than I ever will be and who want me to get the word out. And uh, so this is what I'm doing now, is I'm trying to spread the word that this was damaging to the military in order to hopefully raise more awareness for citizens, get them fired up, um, get their congressmen involved, hopefully get some accountability for the military, maybe with the House Armed Service Committee, having hearings, punishing those who've influenced this, retraining those who follow these orders kind of blindly. Um, and, and I mean, it didn't just affect the military, it affected everyone. Uh, everyone had their jobs threatened, their livelihoods changed with regards to this disease that yeah, it just released from China. So doing that and also just for the pro-life issue. And that's why I really appreciate being able to talk to you on LifeSite about that, um, that it's it's totally worth it. We need to take a stand for these unborn. When you say worth it, th a lot of people, when even contemplating such a step, let alone taking it, but when you took the step, were was there any fear? Is there any regret? Because you ostensibly gave up a, a very prestigious and, and lucrative and, and um, a career. What was your feeling sort of going in and, and after the fact? There was definitely some fear and, and just seeing so many of my buddies getting, getting the shot. I mean, as far as special forces captains know, I only know one other out in first group and uh, you know, he goes to a fraternity parish. Great. You know, four kids who did not get it. So there were times when I was questioning, am I making the right decision? What's going on? <laughs> Maybe I'm interpreting this wrong. And yeah, it was definitely sad to give up certain opportunities like that. Uh, as soon as I knew that this is what I think God, God's will is for me, uh, that's, that's that. Um, then I have to do that. And it, there's consideration too of just print out 
you know, a fake car or something like that. And, and for that issue, even though I thought, well, you know, it's just, that's the sin of scandal. If I think that receiving the shot has grave matter to it or, or bad form, if I then fake it, that's the sin of scandal. I'm making other people think, Hey, John's Catholic. He got it. It's fine. There's some, some sadness, uh, leaving the military. I love my men. I love service members, soldiers, green Berets, especially the NCO Corps. love my team. Um, there were some questions of after the mandate went away, do I stay in and um, just kind of kept on the path and we'll see where God takes it now. There's also this other concept. It's really weird. In the military, a lot of people talk about obedience and, and sort of blind obedience and you're commanded to do something. Should you not just do it? How is it supposed to actually be? You're supposed to use critical thinking. And as an officer, just generally, you are supposed to obey those legal orders that were given to you by higher commanders. Um, so if you receive something, it's not a legal order, you're supposed to bring it up. If you're sure it's not legal, you bring it up even higher. And being a special forces Green Bray, it's a little different too, because we we go through quite a selection process and they're trying to select the most critical thinking individuals. So we get personality tests, IQ tests. We're trained to think unconventionally. And it's just, is it a common sense thing? So I just asked the question, is it a common sense thing? Nope. Okay. And then you have that conversation. So you receive an order like that. It's not just a, how do you want it done? It's like, Hey, why should we do this? Should we do this? And I think we need more military leaders to consider that in any kind of branch, whether it's special forces, army, Navy, et cetera. Interesting. A lot of people looking at what they honestly see as corruption within the ranks of the secular hierarchy. I mean, in all levels of government, the, especially the three letter agencies, also in the military. I just just spoke recently with a Marine who was in a similar situation, actually refused to leave um, and then was jailed for it and then summarily dismissed anyway. Are you still hopeful for a turnaround um, in the military uh, with the government, various agencies and so on? Because for a lot of people looking at it from the outside, sometimes it seems insurmountable. What's your thoughts? I mean, my immediate concerns are what's God's will for me and what should I be doing? Um, and it's not necessarily your call to success, your call to fidelity. And that just makes it an amazing time to be Catholic and to be alive and try to be a saint and suffer with Christ. But I, I am hopeful. Um, there were some good men who were in the military and there still are many, many great men. And more than a corruption piece, I think it's more so maybe a lack of critical thought, maybe just a not maybe there just needs to be a light bulb that goes off for people to kind of pay attention and, and use their critical thinking skills. But I think we also need to understand that sin darkens reason. Um, so as much as it's obviously a legal and medical thing that's bad for you, uh, that there is that sin component. So there is some hope that's, I'm still living off that hope and trying to help change things around on the, on the outside. Uh, the SF motto, Special Forces motto is Deo Presso Liber. That means to free the oppressed. Uh, so I'll try to do that in the means, ways, shape, and form I can right now with uh, different platforms. Tell us a little bit more about your background. You seem very well formed in the faith. Um, where did that come from? How were you raised to to get to this level of understanding with regard to the faith, particularly with the life issue as well? My parents, they split up when I was young. So I split up when I was six and I was not raised Catholic. I'm a convert. So I don't know. I was just incredibly blessed where from the beginning of life, I just kind of, as far as long as I could remember, I believe God existed, tried to pray to him on a nightly basis. And 
grew up mostly with my mom and she took me to church, a Protestant church of whatever form, maybe about once a month. Then it was good in the summers. I'd live with my dad, go on a weekly basis to a Presbyterian church and got baptized at 13 in Episcopal church. But then when I was 15, I went to a Catholic high school and I just, and it was because my mom didn't like the public high school I was going to. Uh, so sent me to Catholic high school in DC, really solid religion teacher, just taught the faith well and started going to mass. And even though I'd been to a number of different Protestant services, there was just something different about it. And a really good thing about that too is, you know, please pray for the priest, but the place I converted, uh, that priest ended up leaving the priesthood. And what I understand now about the liturgy, about just general instruction, Roman Missal, I would have been absolutely appalled <laughs> had I gone to that church uh, now uh, with what I know now. But but even so, God worked through these very human instruments and the Christ was present there and he's present in his sacraments. So there was just kind of this drawing and attraction. And it was around that time that I started thinking about priesthood. There was a priest who gave a homily at, uh, at the school and he said, well, I sat where you sat and now I'm up here as a priest. So maybe one day one of y'all will be a priest. So just a very powerful year. So came into the church, I think it was Easter of 2004. I should know that better, but uh, yeah, came into the church, great blessing, uh, and didn't quite understand the distinction between Protestants and Catholics, not having maybe the best RCIA. And I went to Wheaton College, which is a Protestant evangelical school. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. A lot of very solid people. I liked the academics, very critically thinking, and was just challenged in the faith a lot. So I started reading a lot of Scott Hahn books, a lot of the more apologetic leaning things, loving the faith more and loving the faith to the extent that I yeah, just kept thinking about the priesthood. Um, so I was doing ROTC at the time, uh, Reserve Officer Training Corps, with the intent of being an army officer. And I was thinking, let's do something in combat arms. Let's just get after it. But as these thoughts about the priesthood came up, I uh, started talking to military archdiocese. And decided, you know, I, I think I got to give this a shot. I think God's called me to the seminary. So I went to the seminary. I truly do believe he called me to it. Got many years of great formation, two, with the Arts, or two at John Paul II Seminary in D.C. So took philosophy classes at Catholic U, which was fantastic. And then two years at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Both really solid places and extremely grateful for those experiences. But um peacefully discerned out, left the seminary spring of 2015, knowing that was God's will at the time and let the army know, Hey, I'm not going to be a priest anymore. You have to give me some other job. And lo and behold, Easter Monday, I get a call saying, Hey, John Franklin, you're going to be an infantry officer. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like active duty infantry. That's you know, a very difficult job to start out. Probably the most physically demanding. It's where you as a platoon leader lead 40 individuals, three squads, uh, and that's closing with and destroying the enemy. Like when you think of the military, that's what you get. Um, so, yeah, I saw that as a sign from God that he loves me, but he wants to challenge me. So went through infantry basic officer leadership course, ranger school, uh, et cetera. And yeah, so going back to because you were asking about formations, that was the that formation there. And then it's just continuing to go to go to mass, pray, keep up a good spiritual life. 
Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. Are you still in touch with your parents at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love my parents. What was their take on what's going on in your life? How did they react? Uh, did they give you counsel uh, during this ordeal? And uh, how did that go? Well, my dad's been extremely supportive and it's in, it's interesting and he's actually a Protestant pastor. <laughs> so when I started seminary at John Paul II, he started at uh, Master's College um, and that was with John MacArthur. So the Protestant church that stayed open in, uh, in California, but it's definitely helped to strengthen our relationship. What would you like to communicate to faithful Catholics and to pro-lifers about uh, what you've gone through and what they might be facing? Fidelity to Christ is the most important thing and making that the most important piece in your life. So if you are trying to stay close to him, fulfilling your duties well, and making time for mental prayer, especially, and just learning to hear his voice, that's going to help direct you in a number of ways. I just didn't think I would be in this situation right now, but it's just hearing his voice little by little, being able to understand the voice of the pastor, uh, the good shepherd. Um, but yeah, with pro-life stuff, it's it's tricky because you don't necessarily get the clearest information. So I guess trying to stay as informed as you can. And when you recognize something's wrong, uh, just sticking to those principles. Let me ask you, because it's been a running theme in some of my shows here about how do you listen to the Holy Spirit? Um, had some fascinating exchanges, but I'd love to hear your take on how does discernment work for you? Because a lot of people need to be able to do that nowadays, particularly as times get tougher and tougher. We've got to pay more attention to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? There's kind of four practices that I try to keep in my life, and I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I think each day you should do a little bit of spiritual reading, prayer rosary, mental prayer, and complement or examination of conscience. And if you keep those things in your life, it's going to help a lot. And the spiritual reading helps you understand the voice of the saints. So these are like tried and true people who can keep you from just getting kind of weird in your own mind. Like you might just think you're praying, but it's just building yourself up or convincing yourself of something. Um, but then you have to get in there and you have to do the prayer. And I think that all lay people should be able to give God 30 minutes of their life each day if they can. And to learn how to hear his voice, it's to not talk the whole time. Lexi Devine is a great thing. I'm not a huge methods guy. I just like to get in and talk to God uh, and kind of see what he says. But it definitely... It takes time. Um, but as far as discerning God's will, though, I think everybody stresses with that a lot. But 95% of what you're supposed to do, that's been clearly indicated to us in scriptures, in the church law, uh, in just kind of common sense. So don't overthink a lot of those things. Um, and it, it can be something small. It can be as small as, okay, I'm praying about the person who's told, give everything up and follow me. And I think, oh, you know, I have too many clothes. I should probably get rid of some clothes. Okay. Well, that might be God's voice to you. It can be something small like that. Um, as far as spiritual books, I, I think this tremendous lover by Eugene Boylan is my absolute favorite. I've read it 
probably at least five times, led a couple of book studies on it. And that's very good practical spirituality for the layperson. So yeah, just finding those good books, finding what works for you, uh, but also not stressing yourself out. So I remember a great homily I heard uh, last year, and it was on the centurion who uh, said, Lord I'm, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only said the word, my soul shall be healed, or servant, servant. And those the four truths that were highlighted there, great priest father Dan Nolan gave that homily was that I'm a sinner, that God is good, that he's all-knowing, and that he's all-powerful. And whenever you have some kind of crisis in spiritual life, you're forgetting that. And often we forget that he's good or forget that he knows everything, where I might be stressed out about, oh, what do you want me to do next, God? Where am I going to go? What action do you want me to take? And you should never think or convince yourself that you are so much of a sinner that God can't talk to you. Because you might think that you're being humble in doing so, but really what you're doing is you are you're saying that God isn't powerful enough to do that. And he's so much greater and stronger than our sins. So just trying to keep that, that fidelity, I think a couple of those steps is a, is a good way and you'll figure out his voice. How are you doing right now? You're still pursuing your studies, but are you also employed? Are you looking for employment? What are you doing? I am currently not employed. I'm just kind of taking my time, trying to figure out what the next steps are. I really do feel that God has, has called me to this place, this time right now. I'm going to full-time try to raise awareness as much as to the problems, the corruption that's going on with regard to the military for the sake of those military members, for the sake of this country. And hopefully individuals will, I don't know, but by me as an imperfect instrument, try to follow God more closely. Um, but that's that's more or less what I'm going to do. And we'll just kind of see what doors open right now with regards to that. John Frankman, thank you so much for being with us. May God bless you. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.